0: Hello and welcome to Verge ESP, a podcast about art and science on The Verge. My name is Emily Yoshida. I am the entertainment editor at The Verge.
1: I'm Liz Lapato. I'm the science editor at The Verge.
0: And uh, first we want to note there's an important announcement at the end of this podcast, but that's like a little bit of foreshadowing. So you can either stay through this journey with us or you can fast forward to the end if you love spoilers pick your own adventure. It's not a <laughs> linear medium. We should also contextualize that we are recording this podcast while virtually the entire rest of the Verge staff is watching the Apple event where I believe
1: they just announced the end of headphones. Yeah, um, they're, uh, they're no longer using uh, a headphone jack, which is being presented by Phil Schiller as courageous and uh, which I believe we are on the record as calling user hostile and stupid and money-grubbing and uh what is
0: that isn't that is there a word that that means vertical in- in- integration but like in a bad way
1: <laughs> um that's a good question uh i i just i am just pissed uh about my headphones like cool so now not only are the headphones that i have obsolete um, unless I want to buy a dongle. Ooh, I can see myself I love losing buying it a good dongle. Well, yeah. Um, who, who doesn't love a dongle here?
0: I mean, I feel pretty good about the fact that I, you know, I, i tend to take good care of my phones. Um, I lost my last phone. That's the first time I've done that in years. So I'm, pr- I, and I'm, I like my current phone. I have a six S it's great. Um, no real reason for me to switch anytime soon, so I'm just gonna ride this one as long as I can. I'm not gonna I'm not I, I'm gonna have to seriously rethink my my Apple customer status.
1: <laughs> well, so what's happening for me is that I have an iPhone five that is in the process of giving up the ghost, and I have been limping along with it for the last two months uh-huh. waiting for the announcement because I knew I wasn't going to buy the new phone with no headphone jack. But if experience serves, after this event, the old phones drop in price. Oh, yeah. Get on that six six train. (laughs) I'm like thinking the the SE might be the way that I go. Because it's the same size as the five, which is a great size. It's small enough for my hands. And it's got this amazing thing in it where I can just plug-in headphones that I use on a variety of other devices yeah and you can buy those headphones at virtually any
0: retailer you can buy a pair of headphones at like a bodega if you want
1: right (laughs) and it'll cost you like 10 bucks so that's that's my move. Uh, well, we're uh,
0: you know we're we're here for co- all sorts of consumer tips and life hacks. Um, I spent the weekend at IKEA, really trying to hack my way around their already discounted furniture and make the most of my dollar. So yeah, this is an economics podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> So Liz, I got into a kind of lengthy and interesting discussion with some of our fellow Verge staffers this week. We had all seen the new horror film Don't Breathe, which I had been really looking forward to just from the trailers and what I'd heard about it. for those who don't know, Don't Breathe is a horror film about I guess it's a horror. Yeah, it's a horror film. It's pretty gross. A group of group of teens or young adults who are are burglars, they they burgle houses in Detroit and they uh, their their latest target is a veteran who's received a settlement for a, a car crash that killed his daughter and apparently he keeps the settlement in cash in
1: a safe in his house so they have to go and burgle it that's fair i mean that's what i do with all my money right
0: right anytime you anytime you settle out of court you have your your special safe for for legal fees so they go and they realize that this guy's blind their target but he's also apparently a super fighter (laughs) and they uh they need to once they get into the house he discovers them there and starts um stalking and killing them off one by one uh, so it's a bunch of teens versus a blind guy. And I thought it was like a really great idea for a horror film. And to, for the most part, I enjoyed the film. It's like very, it's my favorite kind of August movie. This was a couple weeks ago that I saw it now. I think I saw it on opening weekend. And it's, it's like, I feel like the quintessential August movie for me in the last few years was that movie Premium Rush with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like something where it's just like a nice, fun little concept and it keeps you entertained for an hour and a half and you're out. I, I like that kind of movie a lot. And those It's, kinds-
1: it's the air conditioning movie oh, right? Totally. where you go to the movie yeah. theater because what you want is the air conditioning yeah. and you just want something pleasant while you enjoy the air conditioning before you get spat out into New York City, which is like. Humid to the point of where and hot to the point of where you just feel like you're in someone's mouth yes. all the time. Yeah, you do. Yeah, that's a perfect way to describe it. You feel like you're
0: inside of another body, um, <laughs> like you're a baby, like in a, <laughs> you're a fetus in the, the the womb of New York City. <laughs> um, Woo. Okay, but so I I was with this movie almost all the way to the end, and then it 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 pulls out a really really gross move that usually I'm down for I like gross stuff in movies this was just so out of left field gross and you know sexual assaulty in a way that the film had not been up to that point that it felt very much just like it felt almost like an afterthought like the whole film could have gone through without it happening I I don't want to spoil it too much but our, our main protagonist as they tend to be in horror films is the only female in the group and uh she kind of is in a final confrontation with this guy and something super rapey happens. I'll just say that. But in like a really weird, shocking, genuinely shocking way. And I don't say that as a compliment. Like it's, it's just like, it was disruptively shocking. And it really had me thinking about how I had identified with that female character up till then, who's presented as pretty resourceful. And, you know, she's like, morally a little morally corrupt in an interesting way obviously because she's a burglar but she also like wants to get away from her bad family and blah 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 like you know she's kind of she's given I think more depth than a comparable character of her age would have been given in a horror film maybe 15 or 20 years ago and I was just thinking like how you know horror films often go into that kind of rapey territory it feels even more jarring though now that the heroines of horror films have gotten so much better and come to represent something so much different. Um, I guess they could still be called the final girl, but it feels like a different kind of character altogether.
1: Uh, maybe for, for those who are not familiar, uh, we should discuss what the final girl is. Um, yes. Which is a recurring trope in horror movies. Um, and it's pretty common. Uh, even I know about it, even though I, I mostly don't watch horror movies because I find them too scary. <laughs> <laughs> that that is my life.
0: <laughs> I don't watch horror movies because I find them too rapey. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. I don't know why. I don't know. I find most horror movies pretty boring. I I, I hate to sound like that person, but I just do. Uh,
1: but so so the the whole thing is that there's usually a setup, and there are like a a, a set number of characters. And I think um, Scream adheres to this. And uh, oh yeah, I I know what you did last summer.
0: Oh yeah, those are like the the most formulaic of the recent franchises
1: for sure. And uh, so you have you have a bunch of characters and there's always like the slutty girl who gets murdered first. Um, And you know that she's slutty because she is depicted engaging in sexual activity and enjoying it. Um, Sometimes with the black guy who's usually the next one to go. Yeah. Uh... (laughs) It's
0: true. It happens in uh, I think that's in House of Wax the one with Paris Hilton in it which i totally saw just because Paris Hilton was in it and i was just very morbidly curious that was but that was she...
1: rob zombie right <sighs> no i don't think so Okay. i think it was a rando yeah um and, and and so anyway she the 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 girl who enjoys sex dies first and then there's sort of a varying order of deaths of the remaining men and then there's one woman who survives um she's the virtuous one too yeah she's virgin or too and like yeah. you know good but she has
0: to find her inner strength so that she can defeat the, the the final
1: boss. That's right. And 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 it's just it's sort of an established thing at this point because there has in fact been I think scholarship on it now. Like not it's not just limited to the the realm of criticism. Like people are writing, you know, dissertations on the final girl. Totally, yeah. Um and you see it in a lot of these movies, um particularly the more formulaic ones. Uh but it sounds like this is an interesting twist on this trope of, you know, the the pure heroine managing to avoid being eaten by monsters, which is a trope, by the way, that you you also see in Little Red Riding Hood.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It goes back that far. Like, she's the ultimate final girl. So the main character, whose name is Rocky, she's played by Jane Levy, who was on the sitcom Suburgatory, do you remember the sitcom called Suburger No. I ran for? It was it was like weird. It was like when I was at the height of TV blogging, so of course I knew about it. Anyway, she's she's good. She's like, I mean, to her credit, she's the poor man's Emma Stone. Like we can we don't need to beat her on the bush, she is the poor man's Emma Stone. Uh, but she's great. Uh and basically the the film is sort of moved along by this sort of moral question at the center of it, which is like, should we be robbing this guy who's blind? If it means that we can get away from whatever fill in the blank troubling scenario that we are stuck in here in like the decrepit remains of Detroit. Detroit is like a very I think it plays a pretty big visual role in the film. There's a good essay on Roger Ebert about that, about Detroit in this film and in um It follows and Only Lovers Left Alive, which is the Jim Jarmusch vampire movie, which I love. But she so there's there's as it kind of progresses, there's always these moments where it's like, do you want to opt out now? Like, do you want to just cut our losses and get out? Or do you want to like really either make sure we leave with the money or make sure we kill this guy? Either one. And she's it's always like she's always in, on the doubling downside. Like she's never cutting her losses. And you're like, oh, why are you doing this? Like, but it's not in a it's not in like, oh, dumb girl keeps walking into danger. It's like she's just stubborn and really wants money, <laughs> which is like, OK, sure. That's more interesting to me than just a victim you know
1: yeah i mean like she she is in some ways willing this to happen because she won't just walk away it's like the person who like is at the casino table and they've won back everything they've lost and they're like you know what yeah. i'm feeling lucky Let's just do it again. Yeah. Um, So, I I mean, I kind of like that dynamic. And there are lots of
0: moments and there are lots of little turning points after, you know, another crazy shootout or, you know, near death or bludgeoning or whatever, where it's like, you know, everybody's catching their breath and and you kind of like have this go left or go right Moment. moment. And I like that. I think the thing for me is that she's just never... She's never sexualized in the whole thing, which like to the film's credit. And then suddenly at the end, that's the thing that gets her into trouble. And it's like this has not been presented as a factor in what motivates her character. Like she doesn't she's not she has a boyfriend in it, but like he's not really that much of an issue in the film. She's the things that she wants are completely separate from her relationship with this guy. And I don't know, I just it seemed like something taken from an older older kind of horror film that just didn't agree with this. And it also made me think and if you've seen the film, you know of course what I'm talking about, it made me think of Ten Cloverfield Lane. Did you see I that? No. Liz? Which is I mean, I love Ten Cloverfield Lane. I thought it was really good. It also involves a, a somewhat vaguely rapey scenario but it's very very vague in 10 Clover Fielding in a way that I kind of respect and it's sort of it, it I feel like that film kind of uses it it turns that kind of whole expected dynamic of like a girl's in trouble and there's like a imposing male figure that like is her adversary and of course it's going to get it's going to get rapey at some point or another. It kind of takes that expectation and turns it on its head. I'm trying really hard not to give spoilers um, for these, especially for 10 Cloverfield Lane, because um, I think that that ends in a really, really good way. Like, I think it actually is cognizant of the fact that that's the direction these stories tend to go. And turns that expectation over and, like, iterates upon it. Uh, I think Tasha wrote a very interesting piece back when the film was in theaters. um, And you can look it up on The Verge. Tasha Robinson wrote just about how the film actually is a metaphor for getting out of an abusive situation, which is cool. Like, I think it works really well if, if seen through that. I mean, it works well regardless, but it works well when seen through that lens as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I think we've sort of hit the point of Final Girl, where... The filmmakers know that we know. You know what I mean? And, right, and so, yeah. like, for instance, The Cabin in the Woods, well, I'm just going to spoil it because I don't care. Uh,
0: <laughs> it's okay. I haven't seen it, but, like, I at this point haven't seen it, and I
1: probably never will
0: <laughs> if it's been well, this long. Well, I, I sincerely so.
1: enjoyed it. It's It's like a meta horror film, and for me, like, the real mm-hmm. creeping... Awfulness of it is kind of the setup. So, like, you start with like these kids are in a cabin in the woods, and these bad, mysterious things start happening, and they start dying off in the the expected order. And then you get these flashes to like a control center where people are like drinking their coffee and hanging Uh out. And as the movie progresses, these two sort of separate lines come together, and you realize that the people in the control center are engaging in some kind of um, global ritual. Uh, involving teenagers uh, that is required (laughs) um, in order to keep the world going. Um, Uh And there is the reason that that horror films proceed in the same way and and, in the way you expect is because that's required by the ritual. And this is the story of that ritual breaking down. And at the very end of the movie, our final girl is, uh, there's a male protagonist who has survived as well, uh, along with our final girl and she has a choice that is presented to her and the choice is if she kills him, the world continues. If she does not, the world ends. <sighs> so it's either the final girl or Oblivion. Right, And yeah. I mean that, that, that is a special level of horror that I particularly enjoyed that is more oh, about totally. like how evil human beings are and less about like, boo, gotcha.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that I've enjoyed about these films lately. I I, I was also talking about the witch, which I think is kind of similar. I mean, you wouldn't like it's So the the ritual has something to do specifically with the life force of teenagers. Is that like yeah? The it's idea? like some
1: kind of like pagan keeping out the demons by making the correct ritual sacrifices.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean. So The Witch, which is another fantastic film from this year, came out earlier in the year. I think this year was oddly stacked in the first half for me. I, I loved a bunch of films between January and May, I would say. But that film is, for me, very much about this idea of a teenage girl being, like, the most threatening uh, source of evil and chaos in the world, like, a thing that every single member of society fears. I mean, The Witch mostly takes part It takes place in um, a single house uh, in the woods with a a Puritan family. It takes place in Puritan times. But the protagonist is a teenage girl. Every member of her family has some reason to kind of hate her or use her as a scapegoat or, you know, just pile shit upon her and there's you know these these supernatural occurrences going on and then one of their kids goes missing and two of their kids go missing and it all gets blamed on this girl. you know it's also very tied to the idea of the witch trials and like that like that would be like a, a young woman would be who uh, Satan would prey upon because they were easy to to turn towards the darkness hmm. <laughs> which I will say not inaccurate but totally fine (laughs) uh nothing wrong with satan (laughs) and i i but i think that there was there's something about that film that and i'll spoil the ending of that film because i don't think it takes away from the enjoyment of it um she does eventually they're, they're the rich the witches are real in the witch and at the end thomason the main character she goes and joins them and it's like why wouldn't you the, the the witches are having fun and they're not bound by puritanism and they get to like you know y- like be free with their their womanhood. Well, <laughs> and also she's
1: already getting blamed for everything. Like she has no good yeah, reason to yeah. support the system that she has been born into because she has been just repeatedly beaten by it. It sounds like
0: yeah, and I I just I think the ending. You know, it could be read as like, oh, Satan wins in the end, but it also feels like she wins because she gets to kind of, I wrote in this thing that will be going up tomorrow, she gets to kind of time travel out of puritan times by like joining these supernaturally powerful ladies which is it's an interesting way to to reframe that
1: kind of thing
0: any other interesting final girls you've seen lately Um, well i
1: mean the one that i i think of a lot of course is buffy the vampire slayer who was you know a very early part of this trend like that was like literally what joss whedon was doing with the first movie and then with the series right is that she's the slutty girl that you expect to die first yeah and she doesn't she's the final girl
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it also helps to have... There's something about the performance that's so key. like, And that's where I get a little bit at a loss for words because I'm bad at talking about acting in films. But I know, you know, you know when an actor has been directed to be somebody that we are watching events through versus somebody who we are watching events happen to. And I feel like... The way that Sarah Michelle Geller is in that show is very much a person that we are supposed to attach to and see the world through her eyes versus like a victim or just like she could still be a, a vampire slayer and kill a lot of vampires, but be there purely to be observed. And I feel like it's a little it, that character, the idea of that character, the way that it's presented, the way that the character is presented it brings in the viewer a lot more, which is like also how you make a fandom yeah. happen. Well, I uh, I continue to be completely ambivalent on the horror genre, aside from the Purge movies. <laughs> but um, I'm, you know, the more stuff that comes out like this, that, I mean, like, ending aside, Don't Breathe is a very interesting horror film. I enjoyed it. The ending a little bit ruins it for me. It makes it so I can't, like, recommend it glowingly, but I still think that the stuff going on in it is... Um, It felt new to me, so uh, I will continue to check out horror films that feel like they might not be total garbage. That's my, that's my promise.
1: Well, you know, what you're saying about endings is really interesting. I see, I see crashes a lot on endings. I feel like takeoffs and landings are the hardest places for stories. You know, once you're, once you're, you're cruising at 10,000 feet or whatever your altitude is, like it's pretty smooth, but getting up there and getting down there can be really tricky. And so go see Sully
0: in theaters this
1: (laughs) weekend. So, um, you know, I, I think it might be worth uh, after the break, thinking a little bit about how narratives work and what we look for in endings. Closing time. So it turns out there's a psychology of narratives. Uh, shocker, I know. Uh but uh, for instance, I think maybe the best place to start is with Daniel Kahneman, who you may or may not know. Um, there was a book of the, uh, that's very accessible called Thinking Fast and Slow. He's a psychologist. I believe he's won a Nobel in economics. But he, he thinks about the ways in which we are predictably irrational because we are often irrational in the exact same ways. And so what he, he, he discusses are sort of the ways that we think without really knowing that we think that way. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things that, that, that he talks about talks about is the way that um, working memory functions, which you know, how, how our memories are captured basically and 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 then how we accrue meaning with those with those experiences. And so, you know, usually what happens with a working memory is you it's like assembled someplace, I don't know, the prefrontal lobe. And the brain like removes information that's irrelevant. So like for instance, if you mm-hmm. have a hard time remembering character names for a story but you remember the story really well, it's because your brain decided the character names were not that important. <laughs> this is a problem with my brain. That tends to be the case. Honestly. <laughs> and so, it, this this in this process, the short-term memory gets converted into a long-term memory. And so, there's sort of these these modes in which you you have memories. And he he calls them the experiencing self and the remembering self. And the experiencing self, I'm quoting here, is the one that answers the question, "Does it hurt now?" And the remembering self is the one that answer the one that that answers the question, "How was it on the whole? What was it?" like Mm -hmm. and so you know I mean in some sense we construct narratives we've talked about this like our our entire understanding of our lives really is a kind of a narrative and it turns out people judge their experiences based on the most intense moment of the experience rather than like a sort of a flat average and right the end is part of what helps shape that as well the duration doesn't really matter that much so it's like the the thing that you love the most and also how it ended Hmm. that really matter when we're we're remembering things reflecting on things and and thinking about how this works so so for instance when i was talking about
0: don't breathe which you know you heard you heard my tone of voice where i'm like uh, it's pretty good. Like, you know, it goes up by like three octaves. Like, yeah, uh, it's pretty Jerry Seinfeld voice. Pretty good movie. Uh, But man, that ending uh, sure was a bummer. That's clearly the thing that has stuck in my mind the most. And so that's why I, by, in the end, like, I feel like I can't. Really recommend it just because of that one peak, uh, the 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 moment in the movie where my brain my brain was sending me the most high alert signals <laughs> was the
1: ending, which I did not like. And like, I, I, it's a really common thing uh, where you'll have these very popular, most often TV shows. Where people just hate the endings, and the one that that's most obvious to me is Seinfeld, right? right? Which is like this <laughs> or a Lost,
0: which I know I didn't see. I didn't. I I, I continue to be a Lost. Uh, yeah, a that's lost two idiot. of us.
1: <laughs> uh, but like Seinfeld, for instance, you know you have this like kind of show about nothing, and then. You've, like, come to really like these characters and maybe even, like, darkly identify with them sometimes.
0: Uh, And then the final ending is, like, a total... It's, like, a judgment. It's a a moral judgment on
1: them. In a way that's They're literally put on trial and, like, found to be terrible. And, like, all of the people from their past come and testify against them. And, like, rightly, like, they've done all of the terrible things they're accused of. Uh, And then they go to jail. And that is the end of Seinfeld. (laughs) I mean... When you when you when you read a description
0: of the finale of Seinfeld, it does sound like a goof. It sounds like something that somebody came up with, like at a bar or something. Um, like, what if they all went to jail? Well, that's how um, we'll end it. Yeah, I mean, I think in practice it feels a little. I kind of don't mind it that much because I guess because of that level of audacity of like, well, how else are you going to end the show? Like, it's got to not that you need to find meaning for the, you know, whatever, six or seven seasons that have preceded it. How many seasons? Oh, I don't even know. Um, But I think it um, it was a lot. But, like, not that you need to contextualize to be like, okay, so here's what it all meant, you guys. But I think there's no way to put a button on a show that is about nothing without going into the the realm of the absurd, which I feel like. Yeah, that's exactly what they
1: did. But, you know, there is, like, kind of this need for cognitive closure. And. Uh this is like another um this is another social, social psychology thing where we want to have like firm answers, we don't really want ambiguity. And and so, you know, when you think about these things, what you're thinking about is how to how to create a closure, how to design closure um because it is psychologically satisfying. And like one of the problems that I think American TV shows have that I don't see as often with other kinds of TV shows is that because they've been running so long, um there's no way to design a satisfying ending. Right, like after like eight oh, no. seasons or 10 yeah. seasons or whatever, there's just an ending. And it you know, it's, it's hard to have it feel earned by every single season because when they were writing the first season, they didn't realize it was going to go on for 10 seasons. And so there isn't stuff that's, that's, that's starting at the very beginning that you then get closure with at the end.
0: I kind of want to know what, what endings of TV shows, which finales, you remember most. I'm not saying the ones that, that are the best, But the ones that you actually remember, because now that you're saying this, I'm realizing I don't remember what happened at the end of Friends. And I don't even remember what happened at the end of Seinfeld or not Seinfeld uh, at (laughs) Frasier, which is crazy. I should know what happens at the end of Frasier.
1: For me, the ones that I remember best are Roseanne, Buffy, Mm -hmm. Angel. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. The X-Files. I remember the end of The X-Files. It wasn't very good, is why I remember it. Um, (laughs) uh, What else do I remember the end of? I
0: have some of mine, which are like a completely mixed bag. Um, The Sopranos, I remember, of course. I remember the end of The Hills vividly. Uh, I remember uh, the end of Battlestar Galactica, which is oh, I guess yeah. loss, I
1: remember the end with, of that that was more, bad uh, yeah with All Along the Watchtower uh, I actually at some yeah. point we should talk about this but I actually have a theory for rewriting the final two episodes of Battlestar so that it is not terrible oh my god Oh my God, I would love it so much. I I do actually think that show was so, so
0: good up until the end, like the, the very last episode. It wasn't like, oh, it's like lost its way. I don't know what's going to happen. It was like, no, I, this is great. I can't wait to, to find out what happens at the end. And then like it all kind of, the wheels start to come off at the, in the last meter.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah is a little yeah. rough. I'm sorry, Starbuck. Sorry about, sorry about how that finale you. <laughs> so yeah, seriously. You, you deserved better. I think that those
0: are my main shows that I. I mean, yeah, that I really like assign a lot of meaning to the ending.
1: Yeah, I, I like. I get a little hamstrung by this actually, because I have a hard time watching TV shows all the way to the end. I like. Oh sure. Like for The Sopranos, for instance, I think I watched like two seasons. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed the two seasons, and then I stopped. You know what I mean? Like this is a this is a thing for me is that I'll have a couple. But season three is the best.
0: Okay. <laughs> No, I'm going to rewatch. I'm going to rewatch Sopranos soon. That's an upcoming project of mine because I still list it as one of my favorite TV shows, but I haven't actually watched
1: it since it was on. So, um, but, you know, I mean, that's not the only way to do an ending. Right. Like sometimes you get the ending right at the very beginning. Like I'm thinking or, you know, what's going to be happening. Like Citizen Kane opens with Citizen Kane dying. Right. Like that's the beginning. Yeah. And like the mystery is what what do his dying words mean?
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, my favorite, I mean, I, I think you see this happening much, much more in movies, obviously, or in books. Um, I'm trying to think of a TV show where you found out the ending at the beginning. That happens
1: sometimes in the episode, but not usually over the course of, Yeah. or like sometimes over, over the course, course of the a- series, but not usually over the course of like, several seasons
0: watch I bet like somebody's gonna tell us that that's like like suits is his like they already spoiled the end where like everybody lives inside a snow globe or something <laughs> um, <laughs> um it would always be suits um Yeah, no, I think it happens much more in, like, single-volume-type experiences. Um, But there's also stuff like Titanic, where you know it's going to happen because it's called Titanic. And obviously, um, the ship is going to sink. That's definitely, like, you know, you know how many people are going to die on the ship, but... The joy of watching it for three hours is the powerful love story and the the discussion of class and the turn of the century. Also the naked <laughs> drawing. Uh,
1: yeah. But I mean, it, you know, these these kinds of narratives sort of prop up something that we've talked about earlier, which is, you know, that 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 spoilers actually don't necessarily take away from your experience of a well-crafted narrative. And that sometimes right. like knowing what the ending is going to be lets you experience everything as anticipation for the ending.
0: Yeah. And actually, this is perfect because Don't Breathe is like that too. Don't Breathe has like a flash of the ending and you know that at some point the character is going to be in that situation that she's in uh, and you kind of keep wondering how on earth that's going to happen because it seems kind of implausible. But uh, And I like that. I like that like, okay, what's going to, like trying to piece it together in your mind of like what has to happen for the point that I'm at right now to connect with the point that I've seen and it keeps you engaged in a way. Um, But, you know, we're very clearly on the pro-spoiler side of things. I mean, I I just had Cabin in the Woods spoiled for me after (laughs) years of avoiding it. So obviously I'm okay with it. What would be something right now that's currently running, I guess, a TV show or a film series or something where you think, like, it could be ruined by an ending at this point? Like, could Game of Thrones
1: be ruined if it had a bad ending right now? Maybe, <laughs> um, if it if we've gone through this whole thing and it turns out that like we get some extremely pat and unsatisfying ending, I think people will be up in arms because that show has sort of made its bones like by killing off the guy who was supposed to be the protagonist in the very first um, the very first season, right? Like. The season right. ends with the guy who's been explicitly set up as your hero being beheaded in front of his children. And at that point, all the rules go out the window um, as you understand mm-hmm. them for the, this kind of genre. And so to me, like if you have some overly pat ending that provides too much closure or doesn't feel sufficiently ambiguous or messy, I, I think that that's the kind of thing that that could wind up undermining, undermining everything that came before it.
0: But that... See, that's the thing that goes back to the narrative psychology aspect of it where you know, we were just talking about Battlestar Galactica and I, I maintain that I had a blast watching that show. Like I I still recommend that show to people because I think the whole process of watching all of those episodes is really engrossing and interesting and unpredictable it's one of and th- satisfying. It's one of the
1: best shows about politics I've ever seen. Oh, totally. It's, like, like far it's... more realist than The West Wing in that particular respect. Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all of the what-ifs that it asks in its first couple seasons pay off. Like, they, they go further down the, the trail of each of those questions than I think most other shows have the wherewithal to do. And, you know, even knowing that the ending is bad and telling people, yeah, I don't like the ending so much. Like, I... I feel like I can still say that I enjoy the journey on that and I can say like I enjoy like on, on, on fluffier fare too like I don't know like the OC or something I enjoyed watching the OC and then it got not so great and I stopped watching it and I don't hold it against it I don't I'm like they did a really good job for a couple of years there. I watched two seasons of that this is like yeah, a recurring same. theme <laughs> same
1: I think that's a perfectly fine amount of seasons of O.C. to watch. <laughs> but, I mean, you um, know, it, this is not a problem that's just, like, limited to TV, really. Because, I mean, it's it's a mm-hmm. well-known problem. Like, Huck Finn has a famously bad ending, okay? What happens at the end of Huck Finn? Because I never read it. Oh, okay. Well, it's, it's, you know, there's this whole thing where, like, Huck builds a friendship with Jim, who's an escaped slave, and that's like the, yeah. you know... Oh, I saw the movie and Elijah Wood, but I'm pretty sure it was... Very Disney-fied. And then he just kind of turns around and forgets all of this relationship that's built. And, like, falls back really easily into his old habits um, as soon as Tom Sawyer arrives. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, like, he, it's just, like, it's, like, all of this, like, development that's happened of this character is immediately, you know gone and like all of this affection that you you notice in 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 the way that you know Jim and Huck's relationship builds like just you know Jim might be dead when he gets lost in the fog at the end and Huck just doesn't care and he doesn't seem that excited when like Jim's alive after all and then you know hmm. it's just it's like there are these these things where you're like oh oh so you know the at the end when when Jim's under Tom's sway again he like he, he kind of felt pity for Jim he had he had this like bond and then now mm-hmm. he's capable of making Jim's capture because again he's a runaway slave uh the occasion f- for a game yeah that's that's what happens and it, it is Eesh. it's it's an unsatisfying ending even though that is yeah. often how people behave you know they grow and then they right. just forget that they have grown
0: <laughs> well maybe i mean sounds like sounds like a real 70s downer ending right there did did, did mark twain originate the 70s downer ending? i, I think
1: you could make an argument for that
0: <laughs> I, I i think in general though any series of books like i feel like especially recently with big YA franchises that sort of thing the last volume tends to be the one that people like the least I think especially these more recent YA books like Hunger Games or Twilight or something they tend to get so so wrapped up in themselves and like self mythologizing that it's really hard for them to dig their way out Um, I haven't read the last Twilight book but I saw the movie but I did read the last Hunger Games book and it took me a year like in spurts Going through it because it was so boring. Uh, I I think when you're doing something, when you're doing anything where you have periods in between where you get feedback, so like doing a series of books or making a TV show. I think the more you have that outside feedback, the harder it is to dig yourself out and and. Like stay on message or or not be swayed by outside opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean you can you can even see people like often course correcting for the better a, a, in in response to to the audience, right? Like so in Buffy, for instance, like Spike was meant to be a throwaway character, and the accident that was originally written to kill him in fact just cripples him, and we get him for several more seasons. Or like, is it Family Matters that has Urkel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Urkel yeah. was like a walk on character. Um, and he was so enormously popular with the audiences that he became, like, the protagonist of the show after the first season. Yeah, that also happened with Jesse on Breaking Bad. Um,
0: Some would say that that was a... Maybe he should have just stayed a walk on. I don't know. (laughs) Well, we're talking about endings today because this is the last episode of Verge ESP. We are uh, calling it quits after after this week's
1: episode, uh, which is why we thought we would talk about endings, um, not only because and final girls, yeah, because that's us, <laughs> we're the final girls, um, but also because it seemed like a, a satisfying way to think about um, narrative form, which is something that we've been we've been doing pretty much since the beginning, I think. Um, yeah, and, and thinking about how you know um, what we know of of human psychology impacts storytelling. Yeah. And so it felt thematically appropriate to make our final show be about finales.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that that's been what we've wanted to do is kind of talk about how especially once you get into the realm of neuroscience how much science impacts the way that we experience entertainment and experience stories and so we hope that everybody has enjoyed um experiencing our story with us (laughs) (laughs) Um, for your gsp um i've had a lot of fun having these conversations with you every week liz and um i hope to continue to do that in a in a non-podcast form and self Selfishly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean,
1: I've, I've certainly enjoyed this a lot because I never know what I should be watching or paying attention to. And I feel like I have just gotten a crash course on how to think about critically, how to think about particularly movies and the way that that movies deal with narrative and character.
0: Well, I um, you should not rely on me for what you should be watching at any point in time, but I'm happy to to help you uh, figure out what to think about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And we'd also like to thank Andrew Marino, our brilliant producer, who's been putting these episodes together and I think like been doing amazing things with them. Yeah, he's the uh, wind
1: beneath our wings, really.
0: <laughs> and takes all our song requests. <laughs> um, so thank you, Andrew. So that is it for us. Thank you for listening, uh, especially those of you who have been with us from the beginning. We really appreciate your feedback. And yeah, yeah, that's Virg vir- ESP. Signing off. Thanks friends. And in the
1: end.